Welcome back to the Life Endurance Podcast. My name is Austin Shadel, and today I'm excited to bring to you another guest episode. I sat down with Malcolm Koenig, a fellow endurance runner. He's completed many ultra marathons with varying results, several of those races taking place in even remote parts of Africa where he stayed and was hosted by local tribes. We dig into cool race stories like this, as well as life in general. So without further ado, we'll jump into the conversation. Joining me today is Malcolm Koenig, a fellow ultra runner that I actually just met this last week, had a little social hike. So I'll likely learn about as uh, much as the listeners today, but appreciate you coming on today. Happy to be here. So, uh, like I said, yeah, you're also a fellow ultra runner. Uh, what's what's a little bit of your history with ultra running? What kind of races have you done, built up to? Well, I, I took a, a familiar path to uh, many ultra runners I know, which was jumping into a race I had no business running and mm-hmm. uh, figuring it out from there. I was, uh, I think, three minutes from cutoff at my first 50 Wow. And then <laughs> a month later, uh, DNF'd uh, my first 100 attempt. Wow. And I uh, started to figure out what it took to build up a base. And uh, mm. now I'm probably right around 15 or 20 ultras in. And, wow. Okay. Uh, only one more DNF. So not. How, uh, how much time, or when you went into that first 50 and then 100? Uh, were you a runner before that for a while, or how much time did you give yourself to kind yes. of prep for that? So I had done uh, Pikes Peak Ascent a couple of times, and I'd okay. done Pikes Peak Marathon once. Had a couple of years of running as an adult. Um, the the tricky bit was, as a kid, loved cross country running, and then as a teenager, I took, you know, ten years close to 10 years off from running before oh, okay. before really getting serious again. Uh, so relearning to love running was was uh, the biggest hurdle in uh, getting to that ultra level. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, you're a runner and then stopped for a bit. Uh, what what kind of got you in, back into it? Well, my dad, uh, he was top 5% on... Pikes Peak Ascent many years in a row and was a great guy and he saw me really struggling in my probably I think I was probably about 21 and he'd drag me out of bed and I'd be hung over and smelling like everything I drank last night and he'd mm-hmm. drag me to the base of the incline and we'd we'd go hike up it and we'd go for a little rundown bar and slowly but surely I was able to start replacing some of those bad habits with uh I, I want to call running a good habit, but mm-hmm. I would agree. I'm a, I'm I'm one of those people. I'm I'm always promoting running, obviously, and yeah, big into uh, me. Me and my buddy that I've met and been running a lot out here. We like to say we uh, gaslight people into believing that they can <laughs> trail run, and then just get them running until they until they can actually do it. So far, we've we've got a few people locked in. <laughs> I've had, yeah, I've I've definitely had a couple of people who I've encouraged to waste all of their free time and money on on a what I build as a inexpensive hobby and what really <laughs> it, ended up being a uh, it can sneak all up on consuming you. lifestyle. 
especially trail running, you can uh, yeah beat up some shoes pretty quick and then figuring out what shoes work best for you. Next thing you know, you're like four or five pairs deep and oh yeah, well I race I, fees. I love that uh, that REI yard sale. That mm. that's been half the shoes <laughs> I've ever run. <laughs> A forty dollar pair of, of shoes will oh yeah get me through it. Awesome, yeah. It's kind of a I feel like a pattern I've seen a lot. I mean, <clears throat> getting into fitness and stuff's definitely always helped me through like tough times. But I remember listening to uh, Candace Burt's. I think it's like Humans of Ultra Running podcast, and it seemed like there's a lot of uh, or a pattern of people with either addiction or like issues like that seem to find their way into ultra running okay. that's another pattern you've seen i mean definitely one of the most frustrating parts of loving courtney dualter is is <laughs> uh just how uh positive and and uh easy she makes it look there's a i think it was her uh tahoe race recap video and they start it with everyone has a demon and that's why they're mm. doing this. And at the very end, they ask her what's her demon and she just smiles and goes, I just really like running. <laughs> uh, but I, no, I, I came from, uh, I uh, dropped out of high school. I left my, uh, my hometown and um, started train hopping and hitchhiking and, and lived as a street kid for a couple of years. And I spent... I've spent more days drunk than I have running, so I'm still trying mm. to catch up on that. Um, but I, I, you know, in transitioning into running and living a healthier lifestyle, going vegan and, and you know, focusing on living in, in, in line with my ethics, I realized how much of the struggle of, you know, addiction and and homelessness and um depression can be translated into mm -hmm. trail time decision making and the the mental state that it takes to pick yourself up when you are absolutely broken and you know find fresh legs on the other side of that mm -hmm. yeah for me i'd say i mean kind of i suppose polar opposite background i was that very just like textbook kid did good in high school went through engineering school all that jazz but yeah everybody's kind of got their own little demons and i think part of what I, I i set like really high standards for myself i know i could accomplish a lot and i think why i really like running or i've always been drawn to it since i got into it in high school is that it's it's just like it's all up to you and you don't have to worry about the external world i mean when you're running you're it's kind of like a meditative state and you're probably processing all those things from the external world but it's a, a hobby that's just all down to you and it's nice to have something that i think it's just completely in your control you know you choose uh if you train or not and then <clears throat> yeah i i've had the mentality that when life is overwhelming running has been an outlet to be able to tune all of the noise out and focus on just one thing and sometimes mm -hmm. that one thing is the run itself but often i'll be problem solving 
something in my life, a, a relationship or a, a um, you know, a, a problem in my social life. Uh, but sometimes it's just, I'm having trouble figuring something out at work. And mm-hmm. just because I'm running, I'm able to clear that fog and get every other issue in my head to quiet down for, yeah. for just that 30 minutes or just that hour and, and really tune into one thing. Um, and I think that's, that's one of those healthy outputs that, uh, mm-hmm. that I would use to, you know, gaslight more people into this, this. Yeah. Yeah. I think something I've noticed is like when your mind is racing and all that sort of stuff, sometimes you, you just need a way to, by channeling that physical energy, that's kind of can be the conduit to really being able to focus. You're distracting your body with running, trying not to, you know, especially if you're into trail running, try not to, you know, fall down a mountain or something. And it can kind of take up that just excess noise. And then you can really, once you get into that zone, dive into a thought. For me, um, I, I lived in Iowa up until this last year. And I noticed that sometimes even when it was just really cold and dark out, that was almost one of my favorite times to run. It's kind of like the the opposite of a sensory deprivation tank, but I feel like it almost accomplishes the same thing because your body's so focused on, you know, trying to stay warm, like fighting the cold, but then you're also constantly moving. I feel like those are some of the times I could really just like sit in my thoughts and then... Yeah, yeah, well, I, I I spend more time running in the winter than I do in the summer, just mm. uh, and more time at night, just because of my work schedule. Uh, not a morning guy. I'm gonna be. I'm not either. I met I'm, you I'm at always, a night hike. I'm always trying to be, but it just yeah, nature takes yeah. its course. And next thing you know, it's one a.m. or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I um I adore the night run. I uh, I'm perfectly comfortable through headlamp. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> fairly confident on descents if if not through stupidity just through you know learning that I can usually catch myself or the consequences of falling are yep. usually fairly small um, but those night runs are beautiful and I have a tradition I always try to get out for the coldest uh, uh, temp of the year and I missed the night of negative uh, 10 here but I, I think to say we just not too long ago had like a yeah. week long just brutal cold spurt. I got out in I think it was negative five or six, and that's the that's the run where like the your breath freezes on your eyelashes and mm-hmm. you know your your vision goes blurry. But uh, I mean just the crunch of snow in a perfectly quiet town, all you can hear is snow, your breath, and all mm-hmm. you can see is what your headlamp is is illuminating and there's that's just uh you know for an an ADD kid that's the best meditation I'm ever gonna Mm -hmm. find uh you get me to sit still in a in a lit up room full of hippies and I'm not gonna have a a, you know an easy path towards that mental clarity but you put me on a trail and Mm -hmm. give me only a headlamp field of view and that's uh the best problem solving time I've got yeah something that uh, I found interesting moving out here finally getting into ultras and trail running you know on trail running uh, for me at least like a 11 mile run with some decent gain 
you know, if you're a big runner, 11 miles might not sound like too much, but on the trails, that's a good three hour run for me. And it's, it's been wild to see how a three hour run on the trails, uh, just like how fast that can go by, or it doesn't feel like, you know, a really long time when you go do three hours, just on like a, you know, city paved trail that kind of you know, it really feels like a long run, whereas it out takes. on the trail, you can just, I just get like lost in it. And I, I also find myself, you know, I might be tired, hungry, but I don't feel like, oh, I just want to go home. I'm still enjoying being out on the trails. It's yeah. Kind of something new for me. That's one of the, I mean, I was born and raised here in Colorado Springs and, uh, that's, something I was spoiled with because I was, mm. you know, I've run, uh, I've been lucky enough to head out to Egypt a couple of times and, um, running with some friends out there in mm-hmm. Cairo. It's 100% road running, dodging traffic. Oh, okay. Just, so like in the city, uh, okay. they self describe themselves as the second craziest <laughs> traffic in the world. Uh, they, uh, but I've, you know, I've run around the, the island of Zamalek, uh, the, it's a little island on the Nile, perfect 10K loop around the perimeter of it with mm. a 73-year-old friend. Uh, her name is Zohra. She's incredible, but she is dodging traffic without a second thought, and I <laughs> am scared out of my mind <laughs> the entire time. And then I come back to Colorado, and I can hit a trail, you know, if you get out of town at least you can hit a trail and not run into another person all day mm-hmm. and yeah that that uh 10k on a trail just feels like you're just warming up whereas in mm-hmm. in the city it, it feels oh. like a, an event like it feels like you've uh, <laughs> aged yourself by the end of it yeah i remember you mentioning taking some trips over to egypt what yeah what was the how did that come to be that opportunity well, you know, I I tried to bring up Egypt as early as possible because that's <laughs> uh, my girlfriend quickly learned when we started talking to each other that if she wanted me to uh, stick around, all she had to do was bring up ultras or Egypt or, or vegan food or dogs or trains, and I'd talk all day. And uh, well, that's what podcasts are for talking. <laughs> yeah. So let her rip. Well, the uh, the Egypt trip came about. I was uh, was in a little bit of uh, legal trouble, um, uh, been an activist all my life and, and have had the great pleasure to be arrested alongside several of my friends at several, uh, peaceful protests. But, uh, I was on probation, um, and fighting a, a, another charge. And if, if I had have gotten a guilty charge, it would have been, um, you know, grounded. Um, but I was on Instagram. This race kept coming up, kept getting advertised to me. It was their inaugural year. It's called the Hathor hundred, uh, by an organization called ultra Egypt. Um, and right around the last week of registration or the applications to, to be allowed to register. Mm -hmm. Um, they, uh, uh, we settled my my protest case, and uh, I was clean bill on supervised probation, so I 
I booked a flight to Egypt and <laughs> contacted the race organizers and within a month I was I was out there one night in Cairo in a six hour drive to the middle of nowhere, South Sinai, a, a place called Sarabat al Khadim. And uh, uh, the next morning I was running, I think it was 40K the first day and 60K the second day. And, oh, okay. Uh, out of, completely out of the blue, ended up winning <laughs> that race, my <laughs> first career win, and uh, met, I mean, when I say some of the, the nicest, most hospitable people I've ever met, I, 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 if I told you the stories of their hospitality, it would sound like I was exaggerating or hmm. bolstering. They are, I offended a friend for saying that I would go stay at someone else's house. And, and <laughs> she said, uh, have I made you feel uncomfortable here? No, I just... <laughs> I don't want to burden you, and that's that's just not how they think out there. So mm -hmm. after year one, I I um, have gone back two more times and uh, uh, just developed some of those friendships. And um, they're not currently hosting Hathor anymore, but uh, I'll, I'll probably go out there every couple of years for the rest of my life. Nice. What yeah. uh, what kind of uh, terrain is that? Area. Sand. Sand? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, the first year, uh, my friend Hazem uh, was the race director, um, and he didn't want to make it too difficult. He's, he's a climbing guide, but he's not much of an ultra runner. Mm -hmm. uh, the second year, uh, one of the guys who had run it the first year became the race director, and he put you up every scraggy bit, every sand mm. dune you could run. He he really upped the. Uh, I'm just the imagining course. sand getting in my shoes yeah. on that ultra now, and it oh. Um, my girlfriend came out with me for year two and three, and uh, year two I I brought everything she needed to run it. Hmm. Under the guise that, you know, you can just go for a run while I'm doing the race. She was there to be support or crew. And the day before we're at camp, uh, we're hosted by a Bedouin tribe. And um, we're having dinner, and I'm talking to the, the owner of the company, the uh, Ultra Egypt. Uh, his name's Omar Samra. He's the first Egyptian man to summit Everest. He's hmm. an incredible guy, an amazing activist. Um, but he uh, he says, you know, I'll I'll front you the or I'll I'll cover your race entry if you want to race. And we convinced her she's never run an ultra to, up to that point. We convinced her to wow. lace up, and uh, she got 50k done and lost a whole bunch of toenails. And Ugh. yeah, that that sand chewed us all up. I'm I'm very very particular about my shoes, and I've yet to have that problem, but. I've lost. Well, curious to see as I as I progress deeper into the the ultras. Well, you've done Canyonlands. Are there any mm -hmm. that does that get fairly sandy? Um, there are some sandy spots, but no, I never. I don't think I had to take off my shoes the whole time. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, gators are the trick. Um, mm -hmm. I was running in the ultras for a long time, and those two point attachment gators were enough for me. Mm -hmm. But most people, which is like, 
a no-brainer when you're running Marathon de Saab. Um, you do the the 360 Velcroed. Yeah, I, yeah. I just switched over to. Oh wait, no, I'm wearing my ultras right now, but uh, I switched over to Topos and got oh, their nice. Gators. Yeah. So yeah, those things really lock down. Um, yeah, I haven't tried them yet. I I saw the two attachment points in the back. I'm definitely mm-hmm. yeah, they're looking into that. They've got the nice Velcro, and that was what really sold me because then you can yeah. easily you know change your lace or adjust your laces if need be. Yeah, I liked how light the ultra gators were and and you cannot convince me to put a strap underneath my shoe like yeah. some of those aftermarket gators I, I i i've got a pair of those recently just for like hiking that i haven't gotten to try yet but yeah for running i don't think i'd want anything yeah going under the shoe either even you know micro spikes like if i mm. feel it underfoot it'll just drive me crazy so oh yeah I'm just i'd rather power slide down a mountain than, <laughs> than have traction uh yeah the 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 sand is is the real killer it's um once it gets into the toe um (laughs) you have to get it out otherwise you're Mm -hmm. you're losing toenails or you're you know degloving a toe it's intense i think year three my girlfriend lost six of ten toenails so (laughs) we're uh we're plenty used to that around the house Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Yeah, I, I was going to bring up, so I'm signed up for the I'm Tough 100 up in Idaho. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Later this September, so I was curious on your thoughts of, uh, so I've done up to a 50 miler. I mean, if you got good running background, you train, I feel like 50's very doable. You just kind of mentally push through. You don't have to maybe think all that hard, but I feel like 100's definitely a different game. Curious what you think is the the biggest difference once you're getting into those triple digits in terms of preparation experience during the race, uh, any thoughts on that? Yes. I, I've had a, I've had a rocky go of it, uh, getting, getting up past a hundred K and a hundred mile. Um, the biggest lesson was patience in the nighttime. I, uh, I'm I'm so expectant to hit certain time goals or mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm so focused on uh pacing out each section that when it all goes sideways mm-hmm. um I get frustrated to the point that uh it can really start to bring you down into that that mm-hmm. mental um dark place and uh that you know the best race of well the best 100 mile that i've done is is run rabbit and i was chasing cutoffs i was uh Mm. registered as a hare so it was a 30 hour cutoff and uh just blew up middle of the day steepest hottest part of the course just 20 miles in i was ready to call it uh sun went down had a little nip of whiskey from some (laughs) kind soul at an aid station and uh, ended up being able to just have the most fun in my life through that night because there was no, uh, should I conserve? Should I push? It was just, you have to get going. You have to get to this next checkpoint. And there was no way we were going to not finish that race. So it was Mm -hmm. just whatever we had to do to progress. Um, so I think that, yeah, we're, picking up kind of where you were at with your 50 miler 
you can, I think most people could just push through to finish a 50 mm -hmm. miler, but a hundred miler, you're going to have to have some strategies. Um, I can't remember who, but, uh, there's the, uh, the anecdote that an ultra or a hundred miler is, um, a thousand yes or no questions. Mm -hmm. And if you answer any of them wrong, you're, you're, you know, potentially not going to finish. Um, you know, it's, should I eat right now? Should I rest? Should I push? Should I, uh, change my socks? Um, you know, giving mm -hmm. yourself those comforts, but not giving yourself any, uh, excuse, you know, those comforts are nice, but you have to be willing to live without them sure. because that change of socks might feel great. But if you get to an aid station and you find your drop bag isn't where it's supposed to be and you can't change your socks, are you going to mm -hmm. let that? bring you out of that mental space that you need to make it to the next checkpoint true um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm coming up on 300 milers in three months i'm going for the dead last version of what courtney dewalter did so <laughs> i've got antelope canyon uh zion and bryce march april may and uh last time I did Antelope Canyon, I was dead last. So mm. I went from a year prior winning path over 130k to being dead last at Antelope Canyon, but just having to finish it. Uh, so I've, that's been on my mind a lot. What is mm -hmm. it? What is the mental strategy to, to continuing going? And I think patience with yourself uh, is, is kind of key. You have to be willing to continue down that path while it feels bad under the promise that it does feel better eventually mm -hmm. even if that's lying to yourself <laughs> you gotta tell yourself that yep yeah really get that uh delayed gratification yeah mm. the the um that antelope canyon experience was was the hardest where is that one located? Uh, Page, Arizona. So it goes oh, okay. through Antelope Slot Canyons, um, which is Navajo land. Is that a toasty, toasty race, or what time of year is that? So it's next month, March. Um, hmm. Okay. Uh, March, like, 9th. It gets pretty warm during the day, but it gets mighty cold yeah. at night. Um, not too bad in terms of Arizona. No, heat. not bad at <laughs> all, especially for being so close to Tahoe. Or not Tahoe, um, uh, Powell. Um, regulates pretty well. So uh, let's see, last year my girlfriend did the 50 miler and it was just rain the entire mm. time. Just <laughs> rain turned into mud, turned into just, I think like 10 hundred milers finished. Like, oh, it, wow. It was, yeah, it was a, a brutal, brutal uh, race. And of course, my girlfriend, being a different person than I, finished it with a smile, came into every aid station oh. laughing, and, and uh, you know, I, at that 100-miler, she saw me at, at the absolute lowest point in my running career, sitting on the side of the trail, trying to put a salt pill in my mouth, <laughs> gagging every time it got closer than a couple inches from my lips, and just uh, whispering to myself, get it together, Malcolm. <laughs> So she's she's made sure I remember that uh, that experience. Hmm. Every time we talk about her crewing, it's uh, how bad is this one gonna be? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I feel I feel like I'm that person that I'm definitely smiling at the aid stations, but I think it's just entirely, even though I'm the one doing the hard thing, even I don't want to like bring down the vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've uh, I came into one of the last aid stations. Sun was just going down at Black Canyon 100K, um, which is an incredible race if you get the opportunity to do Black it. Black Canyon. Um, that's our Vipa. It's, um, I can't remember the town it starts in, but it's just, uh, a point to point incredibly fun Canyon trail. Um, but sun's going down this, uh, I come around this turn, I see the lit up tent and, uh, run into it. I just come out of like a total hole. I, I was, I was in a hard place and then i came around i saw the tent i was happy i came in and said what's up party people and nobody (laughs) was stoked to hear that (laughs) i got a bunch of blank looks i think a couple of people were huddled by a heater ready to dnf so Hmm. uh, my my uh rare uh exuberant positivity was was out of out of the vibe for that one but yeah i you know, even even when in pain, I've I've met uh, Andrew Glaze out on the trail while I was pacing Cocodona 250. Uh, he's incredible. He's like 200 straight weeks into a 100 mile week streak. Uh, he's absolutely incredible. But three and a half days into his race, and we're chatting trailside like he was. Mm-hmm. Like he was, uh, you know, fresh and yeah, happy to chat. So I think having that ability to just pretend that you're happy is, is uh, mm-hmm. enough to get you through it. Yeah, kind of like a, I don't know. I definitely always been a sort of gratitude when I'm on the trails. For me, I was I was actually born out here in Colorado Springs. Um, got some aunts and uncles out here as well. But my parents moved back to Iowa when I was little. So grew up out there, and then once I kind of got to realize that the mountains were just my favorite place in the world, now now that I'm finally out here, live here, can experience it every day I want, yeah, there's definitely just an underlying level of gratitude, or even even if I'm having like a kind of a bad run, I can at least look around and be like, all right, well, at least, yeah. you know, I'm where I want to be. My girlfriend asked me, I think just out of the kindness, um, how was it? after every run and uh hmm. you know it doesn't matter if it was good or bad i you know sometimes i say not great but in a pretty happy tone <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be a good run for it to be a worth worthwhile experience and yeah we're so spoiled with mm-hmm. uh trail access and, and getting to spend any time in the mountains is is truly a uh a privilege that we mm-hmm. shouldn't take advantage of yeah or when you're when you've pushed yourself and you're to the level we're at with like distances you know we'll we'll say ah oh, yeah it didn't go that great but if you're talking to you know your average joe they're just like dude you're just great you're it's amazing you even just yeah. did 10 miles up a mountain we're like oh yeah yeah you can kind of like yeah i want realize that every now and then you're like oh, okay you know it's it was a rough run for me, but for 99.999% of the population, you know, what we did was pretty amazing. There's a, there's a barrier I hit, uh, in my like, kind of first year training to, to ultra run, 
in which I got through, I lived at the base of Red Rock Canyon open space, which okay. is, you know, right up in the foothills. Uh, I would run loops in that park. And finally I got to this distance where I would leave the park deeper into the mountains, mm. get completely uh, out of my element. And I realized that this section of trail isn't accessible by anything nearer than where I had started. So I'm oh. part of, you know, a, a like you were saying, a percentage point of the population mm-hmm. that, that has the privilege of doing this. I don't have to wake up at four in the morning to get this far out. I can mm-hmm. do this in a day by running. Um, you know, I, did, I went backpacking on uh, Indian Peaks Wilderness, uh, the Pawnee Buchanan Loop. Gorgeous. But it took us like four days and I was like mm-hmm. a twenty mile loop and I thought, man, we should really just come back here sometime with a oh, you know, yeah. a light pack and some snacks and we could knock this out. Uh it's it it opens you up when you head into that twenty mile distance mm-hmm. to so many experiences in a day that uh Yeah, I'm I'm excited this year. This will be like coming into my second year in Colorado and I, there's that first year where you're just getting used to it to get all your gear figured out oh, just yeah. get comfortable going somewhere that you don't hardly know what to expect i was always that very forward thinking it's hard for me to take any action without you know like a clear plan so this year going into it i feel a lot like i could uh just pick a destination not really know what to expect show up in my truck and oh yeah yeah well, be able I... to enjoy it rather than just kind of like I don't know what the plan is. How, yeah. Yeah. The uh, the the needing a plan part has never been uh, uh, my thing. Uh, my girlfriend definitely wants to map on her watch. Wants to mm-hmm. know, even if she doesn't need to look at that, it. That's been a good crux it. for me. I've got one of the okay. the nice ones that shows all the the trails. Yeah. I'll give you a route back. Yeah. I um. Yeah. I I. I put it up for every race i've got the gpx file mm. up on on every race um but when i'm out training i i can usually get within a mile or two of mm. the distance i wanted just by guessing just mm-hmm. you know if if you're coming in a little bit long you skip that last trail section run the road back and yeah uh, just by doing that um and remaining flexible i've found trails that that i can't believe no one's ever told me about mm. uh, especially mm. up in places like Cheyenne Canyon yeah where a lot of the local kind of semi-pros I've been exploring that area a little oh, bit more lately God. just more in the snow but you would never run be... out of something to find up there it's mm-hmm. it's incredible um yeah I, I I love the exploring bit um having a plan or, or having a uh an idea of what you want to do while, uh, like mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about, uh, don't train distance, train time. Uh, don't worry about getting your 10 miles in today. Just yeah. Worry about getting your hour and a half. Especially in when you're getting into like the big ultras, it's really yeah getting comfortable. Yeah. With time, <clears throat> time on feet. And, uh, because of that, you know, you don't have to hit that 10 miles if, if you elect, Mm-hmm. Why follow a plan that says 10 miles if you think that, man, today I should really do some serious vert? Mm, you know, true. That's not sticking to that what that plan intended. 
if uh, if I do ten miles up and down Pikes Peak, that's that's, that's a different a thing than you know. Mm-hmm. Say you had a coached training plan. That's not what they were expecting you to do. They would have modified the distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so training off of of time uh, is certainly more effective to me. Um, that said, I am not good at training. <laughs> I'm not good at sticking to a training plan. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm good at coaching it. I'm not good at uh, uh, sticking to my own my own rules. Yeah, I've I'm feeling confident that and with how last year went, that you know I I think I can kind of manage my own training leading up to this hundred but there's always been that thought in the back of my head it's like oh should i maybe get a coach for it but it's yeah well and it sounds like from your perspective um liking a plan liking you know things to be laid out Mm -hmm. with with some structure um yeah that might be a a more effective use of your time to have someone writing out mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's because for me like i guess also when it comes to just ultra running for one, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people that's probably winning the race. You know, I kind of, I guess a mixed bag. Like Canyonlands, I think I was in the, uh, like, 26th, 25th out of 100. But then at, like, uh, Crested Butte, um, that one was a rough race because I was traveling two weeks out, and then I got COVID a week out. And then I uh, had a scheduling blunder and still went to... Uh, see my favorite band in Denver the night before so basically just was like laying in the back of a car and the drive up to the start line oh yeah so that race I finished with uh, like 40 minutes to spare um, you know so towards the end of the pack but so my my mentality at least going into my first hundreds is just you know just not DNF well um, if you finish at all you're in the top 50 percent of starters mm, at oh, okay miler. so I mean, most 100 miles that I've seen, uh, the DNF rate's about 50%. So, okay. Hmm. You know, when, you, when you're looking at Leadville, they're so supportive, uh, and it's an incredible race. Um, mm-hmm. I DNF'd at Winnie halfway. Uh, so, yeah. 2024, what do you, what do you think is... I gotta get out there. What do you think would... What do you think is like the leading cause of a DNF? Do you think it's more literally not going fast enough, or do you think it's mostly a just like giving in mentally um, and throwing in the towel? Yeah, so mine was for most people, or mine was also for physical yourself? this time, which gave me a certain amount of uh, comfort. If if I had to have lost the mental game, mm-hmm, um, that's true. I would have, you know, I'd be a lot more upset to this day. Um, but yeah, I think that there's just so many variables that you can't control, um, that you either need to be in a position, uh, in a flexible position to overcome those, or you need, um, you know, just some serious, serious grit. Uh, Mm -hmm. run rabbit, uh, is in steamboat Springs, um, 13,000 is the high point and um, more and it's in September it's Mm -hmm. getting getting cold it's a ski town so they uh, 
they say there are more DNFs every year due to the cold than anything else. Okay. Um, and it gets seriously cold. It gets, you know, there's frost under your foot and it's 20 degrees at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, the problem is, is it's 70 during the day. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're prepared to be cold but what people forget is that what you would run in in 20 degrees regularly is not nearly warm enough for the middle of the night during a 100 miler. True, yeah, 20 in the sun versus 20 at night, totally well, different. It, and, and even even uh, at night, if you're not running all the way through the night, uh, mm. that gear that you're wearing is just not going to last you. It's going to get sweaty. It's going to freeze. Or... Oh. Um, you're not going to be running as fast. So mm-hmm. you have to wear what you would need to wear if you were just walking around at, at 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that we had gotten right in my race planning for Run Rabbit, and that was that was quintessential, like a puffy jacket, not a running jacket. And, okay, and that was that's, how that's was. good to know because I think my, my race, I need to do a lot more research on it. I haven't hardly done any to date but it's like i think kind of northern idaho and in later september so it's i'm sure it's gonna yeah the nights are gonna be getting cold so some pretty serious mountains up in idaho yeah i've i've never been i need to push myself to do a little more of the like i said you know kind of unplanned like just pick a region of the western u.s you know go explore it or something so i i haven't been hardly anywhere outside of colorado uh heading west so i'm i'm looking forward to well, I've been some looking more at uh, Cascades um, in Oregon. Looks like okay. an incredible race. But then you're starting to deal with uh, rain. Mm. I'm I'm perfectly fine. I ran Royal Gorge, Gro- uh, Royal Gorge Groove this last year. It's a R bike Colorado race. Mm. Is that that's the spring, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's, there was a... I'm planning on making that my first race this year. Oh, nice. Do the 50k. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I I got a entry of friend that dropped out of the thirty k, and so I, mm. was, I was not training at that point in the year, and I picked Casual up their 30K. entry. It was a blizzard. Uh, oh really? So I was I I love running in the snow. It's it's uh, other than getting you know whipped in the face. Mm. Same with Leadville Marathon last year. It was, a, it was pellet snow to the Ooh. face up on some of those mountaintops, but I'm much more comfortable with that than rain mm-hmm. that permeating yeah soaking. yeah it just gets you to your core like i i i mean i've technically ran through what was considered a blizzard back in iowa it was it was only like 30 degrees so it wasn't like a cold blizzard but like uh and i've run some cold temperatures for sure but the coldest race i've ever done was just a, a half marathon in des moines where it was like 40 degrees and pouring rain the entire time and i was surviving through the run but yeah not five minutes later you're just shivering you're like oh shit i need to get out of these clothes now yeah the uh that was a new experience the start line of our local race group uh pikes peak roadrunners um puts Mm -hmm. on a fall series and a winter series just to kind of keep people in shape in the what most people have as an off season Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been at a race before where it started at like 15, 20 degrees and, you know, the guy at the start line right before just is begging people to take layers off because he's like, 
you're going to get half a mile down and you're going to be sweating through that. Uh, It's such a funny balance. And, you know, we're always having this conversation before leaving the house in the winter. Mm -hmm. Should I wear this jacket? Should I, should I wear this extra layer? We've, uh, I've been in the instance of the opposite where we'll, we'll get in over our head and wishing (laughs) we had a jacket. We did a, North started in North Cheyenne at that lot one day. Oh, nice, yeah. It was 60 degrees and sunny in the parking lot. And we were kind of had like an idea for our route. And then we were just in denial for about eight miles in like six inches of snow and freezing temps that like where we were going to connect on to old gold camp or something was. And next thing we knew, we were 13 miles away. <laughs> I'm like way, way back on gold camp and I was in shorts and a t-shirt. The sun had set and we were just like, it was uh, three of us, two of us were upper Midwest, we're used to the cold. Yeah. We were hungry and cold, not necessarily having a good time, but we're like, oh, we could survive back. And then we had a a third guy who's uh, skinnier and from Houston, Texas and props that he was being tough, but we could tell that, you know, he was, uh, his mental... He was definitely being pressed and seeing the sun go down and the cold setting in. There's a shift there when it starts to get scary. I um, I was running up Mount Rosa, um, mm-hmm. starting from probably that same parking lot. And uh, it's fantastic right up until kind of that, that final approach. And it starts getting mm. deeper and deeper snow. And it starts, uh, you know, you come into this clearing at, kind of feels like a false summit uh this little hip between a couple of peaks yeah and i remember the, that the wind starts hitting you sideways this day and i'm my uh socks get crusted with ice and they, they're mm-hmm. like little i had i had ankle weights of yeah, ice exactly. by the end of that run i was talking about uh, yeah i didn't know what to call them ankle weights that's a great <laughs> uh and you know my, my feet are hurt and i'm wearing my my signature short shorts and I get to the top and I tag that, you know, that turnaround rock that I like to touch. And I came screaming down, not a hmm. picture, not a, <laughs> you know, not a, I was here. Just, I, I need to go up to the top of there sometimes. I did, uh, the Pikes Peak Ultra. That oh, was nice. my first 50 K. And, uh, yeah, I remember getting to the top after that, like fall summit and you're just like, <sighs> so I just took like a quick panoramic video. Yep. I'm like, I'll look at that later and just went right I'll, back down. I'll tell you, that's, that's my favorite view of Pikes Peak is oh, okay. from the summit of Rosa. All right, I'll definitely work that into a training run this year so I can sit there and enjoy it, maybe eat a snack. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a, a good 14-mile run just from that uh, that Gold Camp parking lot. Is it's, that okay? It's uh, Yeah, that parking lot for like seven bridges. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're just so lucky with that area. But yeah, you can run up it and back down in just a couple hours. And awesome! I love that. Uh, I've been up there camping. We used to camp up there on Fourth of July. You can see like Ooh, yeah. every town's fireworks all around. You can even That's, see. Like, I gotta Triple remember Creek. that. Uh, I saw the New Year's uh, fireworks. Oh yeah, the Admin from, Club. Yeah, from down kind of uh, Broadmoor area. Nice. That was cool to see the tip of the mountain get lit up oh, by yeah. those. Yeah, it lights up that white. Mm-hmm. Uh, eastern face of the mountain yeah we that the admin club doing that every year really brings mm. something special to our new year um mount rosa i mean we went up there one time and it started hailing Ooh. one of one of two times my dad's ever told me don't tell your mom 
this. I was going to say, I've, I've gone... We're the temp I've, fly trying to set it up, and it starts hailing, and we're just getting pelted yeah, in the back. I've run through all sorts of weather. The only thing yeah. that will stop me, like, have me scurrying under a bridge is hail. Yeah. You, don't, you don't mess with hail yeah, if I've, you can help it. I've had some... Uh, I've had some light hail in which it was still kind of amusing but then you get one good thump on the head and mm, yep, <laughs> exactly that you're like anymore. oh this isn't too bad and then just <laughs> whack and you're like oh <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting year i've got a got a lot of training to do but looking forward to it and yeah what you got after i'm tough yeah setting goals further out than that or uh no no yeah i'm still kind of young enough and you know really thinking thinking out much more than a year doesn't happen too often so i got into ultras and did an ironman a couple years ago always wanted to do ultras finally moved out here to a landscape where i'd actually want to run as much as you need to oh yeah uh, you know to do that and then in my head like, I know an ultra is technically anything than, like, a marathon, but in my head, like, that triple-digit number, that was, like, the the real thing to hit for me to kind of, I guess, for me to really feel like an ultra runner just with today's standards and finishing uh, the 50s. You finish the 50, and you're like, oh, man, 100 really sounds like a lot. But it's... then give it, like, a month, it settles in, and you're like, uh, one thing I like to tell people is, you know, when when you start like a 5k sounds like a lot or oh yeah or uh then my first marathon when i was 16 going from a uh, chubby golfer to marathon runner you know that was a lot and I, you're so tired after that but then hey when did it's incredible the 50 how miles. quickly we uh we make it sound yeah. small yeah, yeah i've done a couple of you, you get to know somebody like you know the the guy you said you're running with and how he's three days in and still cheery so yeah. you just start comparing yourself to people way further and further on and forget how you extraordinary know, it is just and i doing what we do is i intend to do a 200 mm-hmm. uh it's not on my immediate radar but you know it's it's important that i do it eventually mm-hmm but once I hit that 100 mile, I definitely, the, the yeah. imposter syndrome went away a little bit. You know, I, mm-hmm. I started to feel more comfortable. Like, okay, I, I, I fit in here. Like, yeah. I, I, I also just have like just so many different goals and stuff throughout life that I'm, I'm curious if, if I hit that 100, if I will feel kind of satisfied enough that I'll be able to, you know, not have as big of an itch for the running yeah. side and then start feel, uh, filling my time with other non-fitness related goals. Mm-hmm. Definitely won't stop running by any means. I'm too addicted to that. But I'm, I'm curious to see once I finish 100 if, you know, if, if I'll still have a bad enough itch that maybe I'll want to do another 100 for a better time or more distance or if I'll be able to – I'm kind of hoping I'll be able to back, tr- uh, back off the running a little bit and – start focusing on some other big life goals but sure yeah well and it's a good platform to preparing you for so many things in life to to really Mm -hmm. put through that put yourself through that struggle the um the the big one for me is like i've not had a fast hundred yet i've not Mm -hmm. hit sub 24 so that's that's something that's like also wild about ultras is you know like uh was it my my first 50, 
I'm pretty sure the person that got first was literally like five hours faster than me and my time was just under 15 so just the the range of speeds is just it's it's wild to consider courtney when uh was like when she won moab i think it was moab 240 was when she kind of like really got on everybody's radar i think she beat second place by like 10 hours so you know she could have gotten a full night's rest still won by two hours it's it's wild it is insane the scope of it even at like the half marathon range like um Pikes Peak mm-hmm. Ascent, half marathon, straight up the mountain, 7,800 yeah. feet again. And uh, it was a good year when the top guy wasn't twice as fast as me. <laughs> wow. You know, now, that, yeah. now I've closed that gap. And there's bit, people but... probably way, way slower than you even, I well, would imagine. Well, I mean, there's a whole, yeah, there's... Um, I don't know if there's a, a cutoff or how. So it's a qualified race. So there's, oh, okay. That okay. Yeah. So the I guess so there's the half marathon, then the uh, like the ascent is something. Yeah, the different, ascent. Right? No, the ascent is the half marathon. Just, so that's okay. um that's a, a third Saturday or whatever, in, I think September now. Um, mm. And then on Sunday is the marathon, and it's the exact same course, but you yep. ring the top and you come screaming back down. Mm-hmm. So I've done, um, I've done four ascents and four marathons now. I think mm. maybe three marathons. Uh, the last two years doubling. So Saturday mm. you do the ascent, Sunday you do the marathon. It's it's our little local ultra yeah. uh, push. I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll end up doing it one day. Oh, it's incredible. It's it's super fun. That'd um, be a good you know if I do back off for next year. Yeah, you know, well, that'd be you a good one qualify, to put on the. You, I'm you're already qualified. Whatever you've done, I'm sure is is, mm-hmm. is qualified. They just want to know, you know, every year they've got usually at least one flight for life. So they they're just trying oh, to yeah, reduce I'm that. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, the top guys, you know, Remy Bonet reset the ascent record at two hours and like twenty four seconds or something. Like mm-hmm. uh, that's wild because I I did casually hike it with a friend who yeah for them that was like you know this massive like really impressive hike which yeah. it is oh, but yeah. that took us like fourteen hours round trip you know hanging out at the top for a while right so just considering that amount of time compared to getting up it in like two yeah. hours well and and what seemed insurmountable to me like this last year the marathon after having run the ascent the day before i set a new pr on the marathon mm. wasn't <laughs> looking at it wasn't trying for it didn't mm-hmm. know what my pr was you know my dad uh shows up to heckle me into the finish line on his mountain bike every year uh, bike down ruxton road and just sling insults till i finish nice because i'm too winded to defend myself mm-hmm. and uh this year i beat him uh he was he, he was just starting to bike up the road when i finished oh, okay so, you know nice. I, I came in way faster than expected and there's such an odd ability to do that that uh you know it's pushed me into more multi-stage racing mm-hmm. i've done a lot of this these two-day things and okay so September that would be would be interesting have yeah. that mentality that accepting you have to go do it again or something similar the next day waking up the second day of Hathor hundred and and being just brutalized mm-hmm. and and starting to run on yeah he- heels that are on fire 
There's um, a there's a good challenge, the one that uh, David Goggins always like does every year, where you run the uh, four, four miles every four hours for forty eight yeah. hours. So like, yeah. I think that's a really good challenge. I like to suggest to people. I don't think anybody I've talked to has ever done it, but I've, it's because it's not like I had a couple of friends too hard on your body, but having to wake up at 2 a.m. and just get yourself outside, go run four miles, and then four hours later wake up again. It's a, I think it's a good That's the real challenge. Yeah, it's a good practical um, training exercise for experiencing some of that 100-mile feeling. Mm-hmm. Some of that, you know, I have to stand up again. Yep. I have to get going. There's no excuse. There's no woe is me. There's just mm-hmm. a, you know... Yeah. There's, all there is is the next four miles. So I'm yeah. So I, I definitely it. recommend uh, if there's any listener feeling inspired today. I think that's if you're not. I, I think for a lot of if you're an active person, that's a very doable because you could even walk four miles within every four hours, and you're gonna, sure you're going to get less downtime in between. But like, I think that's a a great challenge for people looking to go push themselves, and it's not that risky. You're, you go back to your front door, you know, at the end, you're not. 100 miles out in the mountains wondering if you need to get evac continue and risk getting evac'd or something yeah but. i think there are there are so many great challenges um what's the um that really popular relay race um uh, uh i know like ragnar's yeah. like a sort of my dad did one i think between minneapolis and chicago nice i think yeah. with like a few like other people 200 mile courses or yeah something, that sounds split about up right between four or five people uh, that's a great challenge for someone who doesn't want to take on a mm, you know, mm-hmm. hundred mile effort by themselves, but it's still got that yeah, technical kind of, problem solving of, yeah, you of do it for some miles, you gotta go rest, maybe do some crew work yeah. and then you gotta go do some more miles. I've done a 10 hour relay in which four mile loops and for 10 hours and you keep trading mm. off and man, that third and fourth loop just, mm-hmm. And when you've had all that cool down time, yeah, it's, uh, it's build up that lactic acid, and then you have to go break it up again, and mm-hmm. that's crazy. I'm I'm heading out to Wales in September to do a six day, mm. uh, not huge mileage every day, but uh, it's a race called the Dragon's Back, and uh, just follows a mountain range, the spine of a mountain range across Wales, mm. um, but. You're saying all these cool races, and I'm just like, I'm gonna finish this hundred, and then I'm gonna just gonna see all these cool destination races. I'm gonna get that that itch again. That's that's where I'm at these days. Is uh, if it can bring me somewhere, if I can meet a community of runners, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the the race in Egypt, I've, I've such a huge cultural uh, breakdown. You know, it's such a, a eye opening experience outside of anything that I had ever had the preconceived notions to to even begin to think of 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 you know like what it would be like uh, to be embraced by these different running communities around the, the world definitely make the destination race more of a, a priority for me mm-hmm. uh i mean going to wales i've been to the uk i've been to wales i love them it's not a huge culture shock to me and mm-hmm. true i'm a irish polish guy in in wales i'm gonna fit in just fine mm-hmm. but uh you know the middle of south sinai with a a bedouin tribe um you know 
shaking hands with a sheik and and trying not to be socially taboo at any point mm-hmm. is uh you know just a really fun way to uh, learn through experience and yeah uh, so I, I i definitely recommend you know any of those those vacation races or those those uh destination races just as a way of seeing and experiencing something that isn't completely wrapped in tourism but yeah has some cultural I, I need to let that like sink in my head because i i'm young and they always say like oh you know go explore you know in your 20s or whatever but i've also been just like so focused on certain kinds of uh like business goals and other things like that that i don't really have much of a a travel bug in me mm. but if i do get to the point where i'm like okay i need to force myself to have one maybe that could be a good conduit like a reason for me to you know plan a big trip that's yeah. going to give me a brand new experience have at least maybe a, a race or something that uh, to be that focus point just to get me out and definitely something new well and i think that you catch the travel bug through through doing, doing more um, yeah i'm just like running you know you start out and it's, yeah it's rough and then you get a little good at it and you're like Ooh, and a I lot like of this. the discomforts of being in a, a culture or a a city or an environment or a climate that isn't comfortable for you mm-hmm. um is super translatable to those discomforts from running mm-hmm. you know that uh that finding food in a in a, oh. a market in Cairo where English is fairly limited and yeah. uh, my I'm just Egyptian Arabic is getting more stressed limited. out thinking about this. <laughs> it's it's very similar to that that discomfort of, of coming into an aid station and having to figure out like how am I gonna you know navigate this? How mm-hmm. am I gonna convince myself that I'm okay? It's a good the, comparison. Um, <laughs> but the the first. Um, the first year in Egypt, we're we're running, and there's a camel rider in the front of the pack. He keeps telling me I'm off course, and I'm following a GPX that's the proper course. But mm-hmm. he's a, a Bedouin tribal local, and so he knows the fastest, quickest way around this mountain that we're circumnavigating. Okay. And so I keep to the trail. I know one of the route setters was wearing ultras and I know that shoe print. So every time I'd see the shoe mm. print, I felt like I was, I knew I was on and, uh, you know, we're much stricter in the U S about course cutting in, in yeah. some European races. They'll do some switchback cutting and stuff. Uh, I'm not willing to do it at all. I don't want, mm-hmm. especially leading that race. I didn't want there to be any question True. That, that I didn't run every step of it. But he keeps calling me over. He cuts way off, and eventually he's out of sight. And it's been almost 10K. There's supposed to be an aid station. And I'm looking oh. out in this desert where I can see for miles, and there's, there's no, no aid station. <laughs> and I come up over the sand dune, and at the bottom of the dune is the aid station. It's mm. freaking out before. There, uh, one mm-hmm. minute where I'm thinking, my passport is at camp. I don't speak Egyptian Arabic, let alone Bedouin Arabic. I don't have service. I don't, you know, there's no internet out there. There's no Mm -hmm. cell signal out there. I thought even if I could flag down one of those trucks in the distance, driving on little little sand roads, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know that I could yeah. properly convey my way. I don't even remember the name of the camp or the, right. you know, the whole area was served off him. So, like, I don't know what the specific camp I needed to get to was. Hmm. And then I see the aid station. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're totally fine. <laughs> Everything's cool. I was overreacting. Uh, but that discomfort, once you come to terms with that and once you experience that and realize that it is ultimately going to be okay, there's there's no travel experience that can be mm-hmm. more uncomfortable than that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can get a little a little sense of that now that I've been doing yeah more yeah. deep in the backwoods or you think you've ran further than you mm-hmm. have and you're like oh, I feel like I should hit it by now, but yeah that's that's a wild story. Uh, in case we get they start knocking on our door here. I suppose we'll have to start wrapping it up, but I know, so you got those three races coming up, but I know you've got uh, some sort of charity kind of linked to that. Yeah, so uh, I think everyone at, at some point uh, gets talked into doing a charity bib, and uh, I met the people at Wander Project, which is a charity bib organization. Um, they handle the charity bibs for races like Cocodona 250, all of the vacation races uh, brand of racing. They, mm. they handle all those charity bibs. But uh, they give you the opportunity to raise uh, for any nonprofit, not just the race partner nonprofit. Okay. And so uh, I naturally picked the Trails and Open Spaces Coalition, which if you live in the Pikes Peak region every trail every open space that you've touched like they've had a hand in the advocacy for that um and you know you have them to thank for this trail mecca that we live Mm. um so i i immediately decided let's do uh 300 mile charity bibs back to back to back march april may it's a six thousand dollar fundraising commitment and okay. um okay so that's how it works so like they'll give you the bibs but you commit to a, yeah. a certain donation and then obviously you're trying to not have to maybe put all, yeah, all that well, out of pocket <laughs> within 90 days which i'm within 90 days of all three races at, at the point we're recording this so uh that's my that's my commitment date so i'm i'm officially in for six thousand mm-hmm. dollars so whatever we don't raise i pay uh, and the, the point of it has always been, I'm willing to pay the, the race entry, um, in full. And I could have done that to the tune of six or $700 for all three races. Mm-hmm. But, uh, to get to decide where that money goes, to get yeah. to decide to, to make an impact for trails and open spaces coalition, which has made such a huge impact in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, just decided to fundraise for that. So like currently as of recording this, we're at $3,000 raised. We've got, uh, my first race coming up in, in a couple of weeks, three weeks, I think. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've, we've been able to bring together a whole huge community of people, um, and just a bunch of really small donations, Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, if you're a runner, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're a runner. So, um, uh, run sign up is, is who handles all the donations, uh, run sign com forward slash 300 miles of giving, uh, is my link and, uh, it's as quick or as easy as they make it for signing up for a race. 
you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they try to make it like ultra sign up and run sign up, but both made it like two clicks and you've just committed to a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make it that easy for donating. Um, okay. So I, you know, I've, I've really felt the community coming together. We've, we've done a couple of events and raised, uh, quite a bit through it. And I figure, uh, you know, just plug it on some podcasts and, and mm-hmm. keep running, um, with a goal in mind. And, uh, I know we'll end up getting to that goal cause, uh, the, the executive director and I of trails and open spaces coalition sat down together and she talked about, uh, nothing's free. She <laughs> said, you know, we, we enjoy all these trails and open spaces, uh, in the, in the Pikes Peak region. Uh, and especially during COVID when everyone got stir crazy and everyone started getting out on the trails mm-hmm. we didn't see the same influx in trail advocacy or or trail work we didn't see oh, it uh, you yeah know, we've seen some more people getting into it but we haven't seen that equal level of participation to using and uh benefiting the trails that's so true I'm, i feel like when i moved out here I, I just joined a ton of like local facebook groups sure just to you know get ideas or meet people and i feel like i saw a lot this last year of the regular trail users complaining about how beat up the the trails Mud were ruts and mm-hmm. trash and so yeah that's that's a good point um yeah so this is my way in, in one big push for this year of of trying to gather as many of those uh trail users and open space users as i can uh to focus as much of our impact that is negative on the trail by using mm-hmm. it uh you know horses mountain bikes and and runners alike we're all Mm -hmm. damaging the trail a little bit every time uh this is this is my push to call for people to just you know do their part in in uh specifically for this fundraising and then past fundraising getting together with groups like rocky mountain field institute and volunteering some time uh to actually do the physical Mm -hmm. uh, reparation of trails um by the way, Rim Fee, Rocky Mountain Field Institute. If you ever want to get a volunteer, that's okay. It's an yeah, incredible I time. Rocky Mountain Institute. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna write that down. Now that I'm, yeah, getting more in tune with just the Colorado community kind of ecosystem. That's yeah, it's a good point. And yeah. I've never asked uh, anything of my listeners, the the few that there may be. I mean, definitely in our my infancy stages here, but uh. Definitely encourage and ask uh, any of the listeners of this podcast to go check out. I'll definitely share that link. Um, please go donate to that. I'm definitely going to go donate and pitch in after this. Um, so I guess to finish it up, uh, we've got that link. Any other links, your socials that you maybe want to plug uh, for I anybody? Mean, like like most ultra runners, I tried to do the, the influency thing there for a minute, but I don't care about it as much i'm on sure. instagram as uh malcolm koenig my tag is i think vegan ultra runner um i you know i love seeing what people are doing so mm-hmm. that part of it's great but i uh far be it from me to promote my social media all it is is me posting dumb reels and, hey, and I, even dumber stories so that's uh that's also <laughs> what kind of goes viral these days so sure, who knows sure. now <laughs> 
Uh, well, awesome, man. Appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I think we could spend all day talking about this sort of stuff. So maybe we'll have to do an episode two after your uh, three big races coming up. Maybe do a little, yeah, little absolutely. Deep, debrief, I'll, see how it went. I'll have some uh, some horror stories to uh, to convey. That, yeah, that third race, I'll be finishing uh, on my birthday. So oh, awesome. I'm just <laughs> looking forward to that. That's all the motivation I need. And, after that, I'm sure we'll have some, some pretty harrowing tales from the trail. Awesome. Well, once again, I appreciate it, man. And, yeah, uh, hey, thanks. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this conversation. Uh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Give uh, Like you mentioned, maybe you'd think runners are all listening to this, but uh, I, I want to say you know most people listening to this actually probably aren't yet. So I'm, I'm all about trying to give them a little look into – the running world and hopefully you know convince people to maybe join into it and see if there's a way to better themselves with it so yeah really appreciate you coming on and helping me with uh, my little mission there absolutely worthy cause that wraps it up for today's episode i really enjoyed this conversation with malcolm he has definitely a fascinating past with running and I feel like we were able to talk about a lot of the more deeper side of running, what it means to the individual and how it can help you navigate life. And again, I'll ask if you are able, please donate to the nonprofit Malcolm is running for. The Trails and Open Spaces Coalition, there's a specific link. There's a specific link so you can donate to his specific piece of the cause. Runsignup.com forward slash 300 miles of giving, which will be linked in the description. We wish Malcolm luck on those upcoming races, and hopefully I can have him on again after. Maybe we'll get a little debrief on how they go. Doing three separate 100 mile races within three months is definitely... A big accomplishment even when considering the ultra running world so it would be interesting to hear about his experiences with those as well as diving in deeper to the meaning of running in our lives i uh, would love to continue that conversation with him so in the meantime look forward to that if you want to learn more about my running efforts give me a follow on instagram at the endurance beast and feel free to reach out there if you have any input questions comments about the show Happy to hear more about what the listeners like, what you don't, what maybe you'd like me to talk about, potential guest ideas. I appreciate you taking the time to listen today, and as always, I look forward to sharing the next episode.